Well, I just want to thank you for being awake this morning. First service hadn't uh, recovered from their food comas yet, so it was a little quiet. Um, but you know, in all seriousness, it, it's so easy right now with all that's going on to, to dwell on the things we can't do. Uh, but the reality is we get to do this. We get to be in God's house and worship Him, and, and that's an amazing uh, privilege and opportunity. Well, it's so excited to, to kick off this Christmas series with you over the next uh, handful of Sundays. We're going to take a look at, at a Christmas carol, a classic Christmas song that we sing through the years, and we're going to explore kind of the biblical and, and, and spiritual significance of, of these songs in, in, in a way of, of helping us embrace the wonderful story and, and precious gift of Jesus' birth. Um, you heard our, our, our student band there sing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Talk about a Christmas classic. You know, written in 1951 by Meredith Wilson, made famous by Perry Como, performed best by Michael Bublé. Um, there we go. There we go. Uh, you know, that's the song we're looking at. Before we get into that, I just, uh, a little bit of background about me. So you can kind of know the direction I'm coming from here, where, where, what was going through my thought and mind as I was preparing for today. I am not a traditionalist. I am not a, a, a traditional person. I don't, I don't uh, get a fuss over traditions. In fact, I love to try new things. I, I really like change. And I, I've never been one to get behind doing something just because it's the way it's always been done. In fact, if you tell me we're doing this because it's the way it's always been done, my mind is going to start thinking of new ways to do it. That's just the way I'm wired. All right, so I'm not a traditionalist. I'm also not a sentimental person. My wife can attest to this. She'll show me something the kids made 10 years ago and be like, look at this. I'm like, throw it away. It's taking up space. You know, I'm not a sentimental person. The exception, though, is Christmas. When it comes to Christmas, I love the traditions of Christmas. And, and Christmas always brings up a lot of sentimentality in me. When we're decorating the tree and we pull out the, the ornaments that the kids made, I love those. I want those on the tree more than anything else. And so Christmas brings up a little different side of me. I love Christmas time. It is hands down my favorite time of year. You know, growing up, I love Christmas just as much, but I did not grow up in a home that, that talked about God at Christmas time. So for years, for me, Christmas had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And I remember when I accepted Christ at 19 and I remember my first Christmas after accepting Christ and listening to the Christmas music that I grew up listening to year after year after year. It was like hearing it for the very first time. And I remember thinking, this isn't Christmas music. This is worship music. How did I listen to all these songs over the years and never notice all the ways they talk about Jesus Christ? I just never paid attention to it growing up. And music, Christmas music in particular, is a way of, of stirring up these emotions and memories for me that are so impactful. I love Christmas music. I love the traditional Christmas music. I listened to Beach Boys Christmas growing up as a kid. I insist on listening to that now, even though my kids hate it. My kids can't stand the Beach Boys. They think they're the worst, especially my daughter, Bella. She says, change the song, please, anytime Beach Boys comes on at Christmas time. But I love this sort of thing. All right, that's it. That's, that's all you get about me. Now, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas is a song we're, we're looking at. Now, this song, as, as, although it's a Christmas classic, doesn't really ever specifically talk about Jesus. It's not really a Christian Christmas song. But there are a couple lines in this song that, that stand out because they, they kind of point towards the importance of focusing on the most important parts of it. 
in the midst of, of this song, singing about the toys and, and, and the lights and the Christmas tree and, and the town all aglow and everything like that, there are a couple of verses that stand out. Allow me to read them to you. The verses are going to be on screen. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, toys in every store. But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Soon the bells will start, and the thing that'll make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your So we have these verses that are, that are serving as a reminder that, that all that stuff that's going on in the Christmas season is good, but focus on what really matters. Pay attention most to the holly that's on your own front door. Focus on home and family. That's what really matters. And then it talks about the carol that you sing in your heart. It's a reminder that Christmas is about what's going on in our heart. That influences Christmas. And I think each time, uh, each year at Christmas, as, as Christ followers, we embark on, so, on sort of a, a balancing act. We embark on this balancing act. There's a tension between celebrating the stuff of Christmas and celebrating the reason for Christmas, for believers. This song highlights the stuff of Christmas. Christmas trees, lights, toys, all that good stuff. You know, Santa Claus, everything. And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, I love all that stuff. I love it. I love all that stuff. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but this song serves as a reminder to enjoy those things, but also remember to focus on what really Ultimately, Christmas is what we make it to be. It's ultimately up to us to decide what Christmas is really all about. Do we focus more on the stuff of Christmas or do we focus more on the reason for Christmas? And this is the challenge that we face as believers. It's where we have to be mindful and intentional as believers. Remember, there's nothing inherently wrong with the stuff of Christmas. There's nothing inherently wrong. Instead, what can become harmful is our, our response and our perception of the stuff of Christmas. And, and, you know, the Apostle Paul actually teaches about this a little bit in Scripture. And, and he, he writes his letter to the church in Corinth, and he talks about uh, the meat that they're buying and eating in the marketplace. Let me give you a little history, because this might be confusing while I'm talking about this in a Christmas sermon. In, in Corinth at the time, there there were a lot of uh, pagan temples and pagan worshipers, and they would sacrifice animals to their false gods. And then being the enterprising people that they were, they would sell the meat from those animals at the marketplaces in town. And there were a lot of Christians in that city that were having this conflicting feeling. They were saying, well, can I actually buy this meat and eat this meat if it had been offered to false gods first? There was this concern that, that maybe the meat was tainted, and therefore if they ate it, they would themselves become tainted. And listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.25. He says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So what Paul's saying there is that there's nothing inherently wrong with the meat. But he goes on to warn. He says, But don't eat the meat if there's a chance that a weaker brother or sister in Christ, someone who's not as spiritually girded up as you, if it would cause them to stumble and fall or have doubts about their faith, seeing you eat that meat, then don't eat the meat. So again, Paul reinforces this idea that there's nothing inherently wrong with this meat. It's, it's a person's response to it or perception of it that can be the problem. Elsewhere in Scripture, he teaches, and probably more simply than that, he, he says in 1 Timothy 6.10, he says, the love of money 
is the root of all evil. The important distinction there, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. So here we have another example of something not being inherently wrong. It's our response to it that can make it wrong. So what does this mean for us? And how does it relate to Christmas? Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Look around, trees everywhere, Christmas trees, Black Friday sales, Cyber Monday sales, getting cold, the Christmas season is upon us. Raise your hand if your Christmas decorations are up at home. Yep, all right, everyone's got it together. Those of you who haven't done, do it already, come on. You know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. This is, a, this is all part of the, the celebration of Christmas in our culture. And there's, the, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. The challenge we face again, though, is in the midst of all this amazing Christmas stuff, is whether or not we let it become an idol. The challenge is idolatry. That's the challenge. We don't talk about that much anymore. But does the stuff of Christmas matter more to you or I than the true meaning of Christmas or the true reason for Christmas? Does the stuff of Christmas get more attention in our homes than the real reason for Christmas? There's nothing inherently wrong with Santa Claus or Elf on the Shelf or any of that stuff, but if they get more attention and adoration in your home than Jesus Christ, then they have become an idol. There's nothing inherently wrong with decorating a Christmas tree, but if, if that is a more of a celebration in your home than, than celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, then that has become an idol. This is the tension, the balance we must deal with as believers during Christmas. So then, how do we do that? How do we, how do we enjoy and celebrate the stuff of Christmas while not letting it distract us from the real reason the good news, I think, is that it's perfectly possible and reasonable for believers, for Christ followers, to love and enjoy and celebrate all the stuff of Christmas, but still stay focused on the real reason for Christmas, which is the key, I think, is remembrance. Remembrance is the key. Throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, God reminds us to remember. And he warns us against forgetting him. God knew that we would be forgetful. When he handed down the Ten Commandments to Moses, the fourth one he wrote, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God knew that we would forget the Sabbath. He knew we'd be forgetful. When the Israelites had finally neared the end of their journey and were getting ready to enter the promised land, God used Moses to remind the Israelites to remember and not forget. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14, 7 and 8, 17, 18. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then fast forward New Testament, when Jesus instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he said, do this today and every day afterwards in remembrance of 
God knew that we would be forgetful. And it's when we forget the true meaning of Christmas, that is Jesus Christ, that's when we start to allow the stuff of Christmas to take on more value and take on a higher place in our life than God. And that is the very definition of idolatry. So, what can we do? What can we do? I think there's an amazing example in Scripture that we can follow, and it comes from Jesus' very own mother, Mary. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 45. The words will be on screen, but I want to invite us all to bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to God in prayer before we read his word this morning. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for allowing us to enter into your house to worship you together today, Lord. God, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds to be changed, challenged, transformed by the truth, to apply it to our lives and live it out in fresh and new ways today. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. All right, Luke 1, 46, 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So we see Mary utter this, this it's become known as Mary's song, the song of praise to God after finding out that she was going to be miraculously uh, pregnant with the, the Messiah. And, and this, this response from Mary is so important and so remarkable because she doesn't panic. If there was ever a situation where someone had reason to have an anxiety attack or to totally stress out or freak out, it would have been Mary in this situation. Historians believe from, from a cultural perspective and, and historical perspective that she was probably around age 14 when she found this out. Can you imagine that? So instead of, 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 of getting distracted by all the uncertainties and unknowns, she praises God. She doesn't, she doesn't focus on how her betrothed Joseph might respond. She doesn't focus on how the people in her town that she lives in might respond. She doesn't focus on the risks that came with bearing children at that point in history. She doesn't d- dwell on the, on the reality that her life, as she knew it, was forever over and changed. And she didn't dwell on the fact that she was given a responsibility to nurse and raise the Messiah, the Son of God. Get him through the, the, the infant toddler years and, and through the, the preteen years and, and raise him as a teenager. Can you imagine that? Knowing that he was the Son of God the whole entire time. She doesn't dwell on those things or focus on those things. What does she do instead? Mary remembers God. She remembers God and she does it with so much does it with so much hope. She remembers what he has done in the past. She remembers what he has promised to do in the future. And in hopeful remembrance, she praises him and glorifies his name for what he's doing in the present. I think we can look to Mary's example 
of this hopeful expectation and this hope-filled worship this Christmas to, to help us enjoy the stuff of Christmas without letting it distract us from the real. I think there's a couple things we can pull from Mary's example here. First, we see in Mary this hope-filled worship. Hope-filled worship. And so for us, let's remember that we get the privilege of glorifying God. Let's remember that we get the privilege of glorifying God this Christmas. Mary, in the midst of everything, she declared this. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In the midst of the bombshell that had been dropped on her life, she pauses. She glorifies God, praises His name, worships Him. In the midst of all that stuff. Now, as I was thinking about this and, and kind of applying it to today, I, I, I was reminded of a couple things. And I, at the risk of stepping on some toes, I got I to be honest and tell you this. When I hear someone say, keep Christ in Christmas, or I see a sign post that says, keep Christ in Christmas, or I see a social media post about keeping Christ in Christmas, I cringe. It makes me cringe. Or when someone comes to me and complains, hey, that store doesn't say Merry Christmas anymore, they say Happy Holidays, I cringe a little bit. And let me, let me explain why. A couple things for us to take into consideration, okay, before you get mad at me. First of all, it's not the world's responsibility to keep Christ in Christmas. Right? It's not the world's responsibility to keep Christ in Christmas. And we should not and cannot rely on the marketing team at Target or Kohl's to spread the news of the gospel at Christmas time. Okay? First thing. Second thing, for someone who doesn't know Christ, there is no keeping Christ in Christmas. Growing up, I didn't know Christ, so I couldn't keep Christ in Christmas because I didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. He wasn't even on my radar. So how would I keep Christ in Christmas? I think the intention behind that saying, keep Christ in Christmas, is good. I think the intention behind saying, don't say happy holidays, say Merry Christmas, I think it's good, but I think it's deflecting the responsibility. I think it's the way people deflect the responsibility. We cannot get mad at the world for not keeping Christ in Christmas. You know who bears that responsibility? Christ followers. We do. Are you keeping Christ in Christmas? Are you keeping Christ? This Christmas, what would it look like to follow Mary's example? And in the midst of all the stuff, remember to glorify God in such a way that people around us take notice. What would that look like? The best way that we can keep Christ in Christmas, the most effective way that we can tell the world about the wonderful news of Jesus Christ is to worship him in such a way that our soul magnifies the Lord and people can see us rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the most effective way to celebrate Christmas and spread Christmas cheer. Next, we see in Mary this hope-filled expectation. This hope-filled expectation. So let us this Christmas remember what we're waiting for. Let's remember what we're waiting for. Mary, in her song of praise, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In this song, Mary's hopeful expectation of the future promises of God are so evident. She doesn't focus on her present difficult circumstances and be, be, 
we have to be real. She was entering in some very difficult, challenging circumstances. She doesn't focus on that. Instead, she, she has her gaze forward, excited for what is to come. Christmas is, is all about waiting for us. We are entering the Advent season. Advent means wait. I remember as a kid, I waited for Christmas morning with such intensity. I don't know if anybody else is like that. I mean, I could not wait for Christmas morning to arrive. It did not get here soon enough, and I'm pretty sure I drove my parents absolutely crazy every single year. I could not wait. I, I waited with so much intensity. I remember in elementary school making the, the, the construction paper ring thing that counts down the days. What's it called, Lisa? An advent chain. My wife, the teacher, she knows what it's called. I remember making that a couple years in elementary school. I hated that thing. I hung it up in my room, and I'm thinking, okay, good, it's time to start counting down. And all that made things do was go slower and slower and slower. And I was so impatient, I would rip that ring off first thing in the morning. I wouldn't wait till bedtime. So I got home after school, and it's just where it was when I got home, you know, nothing. It didn't move any faster. I remember my oldest daughter, Maddie, bringing one of those things home for the first time, and I said, get that out of my house. I hate those things. <laughs> but I, 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 can't, I have this realization. A little inner conviction. The Christmas season is about waiting on the promises. The people of Israel waited, waited 400 years for the Messiah to arrive, and then Jesus was born, and everything changed. And from then on, guess what? As Christ follows, we are waiting for Jesus to come. Christmas is about waiting. It's about celebrating the birth of Christ, which is something that happened, but it's about waiting for the future return of Jesus Christ. He's going to come again in all his glory and splendor and take us back to be with him. That's what we're waiting for. And there's nothing more amazing. The conviction comes when I realize I don't wait for that day with the same intensity in which I wait for Christmas morning. Even today, I can't wait to watch my kids open up their presents. I wait for that with more intensity than I wait for the Jesus I look to Mary's example. I wonder, how did she do it? How did she keep her focus on the waiting, on, on the promises that were to come? What helped her look beyond today and have such a hopeful expectation for what is to come? We actually see this throughout most of her song. Mary paused to celebrate what God had already done. And in doing that, it helped her recognize that God was a promise keeper. Luke 1, 51 through 56, listen to what Mary says. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary found comfort and courage to face what was in front of her by remembering what God had done before her. She did that. This Christmas, what would it look like to follow Mary's example and remember that God has so many promises yet to fulfill? It's so many promises yet to fulfill. I'm not suggesting that, that we, we seek to live in the future at the expense of the present and, 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 and forgetfulness of the past. No, instead, what we do is we look at the present through the lens of what God has promised awaits us in the future. 
And we get assurance of what God has promised us in the future by remembering what God has done in the past. That's the example Mary sets. The reality is the presents under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning are nothing in comparison to the future glory that awaits those of us who are in Beginning to look all like Christmas. What makes the bells ring, the song says, is the carol that we sing right within. This year, in the midst of all the good stuff of Christmas, we cannot let it distract us away from the true meaning of Christmas. Let us remember that we have in Christ, it's, it's so much better, so much better than anything the world can give us. It's immeasurably better and richer than anything. The worship team is going to come back on stage and closes out with a song called The Blessing. It's an amazing song, and there are lyrics in this song that are so reminiscent of Mary's song. It speaks of the reality that God has done great things for us in the past and for those who came before us. It speaks of the reality that God is with us in the present, and it speaks of the reality that God has so much yet to do in our future. And so as we listen to that song here at the end, you can stand and sing if you want. Here's what I want you to do. If there's anyone here who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, while you're listening to this song, try to let the words sink in a little bit. And I want you to ask yourself, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I can think of no better time than the Christmas season to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's going to change the way you see Christmas. It's going to rock your world. In amazing ways, you can't even uh, begin to understand or explain. All you have to do is say yes. And for everyone else, if you've already accepted Christ and your believers walking on the journey, as you listen to these words of this song, I want you to ask yourself, what's holding you back? What's standing in the way? What's distracting you from living fully and most presently in the promises of God? And the real reason for Christmas not just celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but celebrating what that birth led to and means for us. And then for everyone, you listen to this song, just, it's 2020. There's so much, there's so much that can distract us away from what God is doing in our midst and what God has promised to do for us in the future. Try to look past those things and remember that God is with us behind us, he's in front of us, all the days of life. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I praise you, Lord, and I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. We sang a song earlier, Lord, in which we said the words, he humbly entered the virgin's womb. Jesus, you left the splendor of heaven for us. We can't begin to wrap our minds as to just what that entailed, Lord, and how big that was, but we thank you for it as much as we possibly can. And Lord, not only did you humble yourself to enter into a virgin's womb, but you humbled yourself to, to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be denied, to be beaten, to be brutally murdered for us. stay on that cross. You didn't stay in that grave. The tomb is empty. 
And so we can, this Christmas season, celebrate what has been done for us and look ahead to what is yet to be done for us as we wait for the return of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, God. We give you praise. And we pray all this in your precious holy name. Amen.